I'm told about once a year that I need to visit the doctor and get my physical. Now, I, I say I'm told because Amy tells me once a year, Eddie, you need to visit the doctor to get your physical. About once every three to five years, I listen to her. And when I do, I go to a general practitioner. And the reason I go to a general practitioner is, is because I need a, a general assessment uh, of my health. So I don't go to a specialist. Um, and the reason I can do that is because as humans, we have so much in common. If you're here this morning, you probably have ten toes and ten fingers and two arms and two legs and a torso and a, a neck and a head. I, I hope everybody brought their head this morning. Um, I'm really excited that Tyler and I are, are jumping into the book of Ephesians uh, for the month of July. We're going to be teaching through the book of Ephesians. And the reason I'm so excited about that and the reason Tyler is so excited about that is because Ephesians addresses a lot of general issues that believers everywhere have to deal with. Uh, in much the same way that I can go to a general practitioner, uh, it doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman or black or white or young or old or tall or short. We all have those commonalities. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we all have a lot in common. For example, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you believe that Jesus was the Son of God and that he lived, died, and was buried, and then on the third day he rose again uh, so that your relationship could be restored with your Heavenly Father. That's something that all believers everywhere have in common. Here's something else we have in common. Life is still a struggle. Life is still just a grind. You see, just because we're believers doesn't mean that we get a pass on struggling through life. And kind of in a, in a humorous way, I, I've been reminded of this over the past, uh, over the past few, few weeks. Um, you see, I'm married to a teacher. And I have three school-age children. And about half of the work that I do, I do from a home office. Okay, you, some of you are starting to get this. What once was a quiet, serene place where I could get a whole lot accomplished in a short period of time has become practically a noise factory. That's kind of humorous. But it's true to life. See, just because we're believers doesn't mean that we get a pass on suffering. Just because we're believers doesn't mean that we don't get sick. Just because we're believers doesn't mean that our children don't get sick. It doesn't mean that we don't sometimes lose our jobs. It doesn't mean that sometimes we have relationships that we've poured years and sometimes even decades into that disintegrate because the other person just wanted some different scenery. You see, we all know that unlike Hollywood teaches us, that the good guy doesn't always get the girl. Sometimes the bad guy wins, and only the good die young. And the cowboys are probably going to have another mediocre season. 
And despite the fact that we are identified as blessed, despite our blessed identity as Christians, life is still a struggle. If I could just get real with you, just be honest with you for just a moment. I personally, I really struggle with this. I read this book. I study this book. I've taken classes in, in Greek, in Hebrew, so that I can really get deep into this book. And if I'm honest with you, sometimes when I look at the promises and I look at the blessings that this book talks about, and then I look at my life, I'm shrugging my shoulders. I'm scratching my head. Sometimes it feels like all of the blessings are for the sweet by and by. And that's good, and I get it, that, that some of the blessings that this book talks about, uh, I, I'm not going to get to realize until I'm in heaven. But sometimes I, I, I struggle with this because I don't live in the sweet by and by. I live in the nasty here and now. And sometimes I struggle with what it means to be a blessed believer in Jesus Christ when I look around in my own life and I don't see very many blessings. And that's what Ephesians is about. That's one of the main things that it is about. It is, it is the subject of Ephesians is to tell us what does it look like to be identified as a blessed person when you look around in your life and you don't see very many blessings. What does it mean to be blessed when you don't feel very blessed? We're going to jump right into chapter 1 of the book of Ephesians. So if you're not there already, go ahead and start turning or scrolling or however it is that you, you get there. Go ahead and get there. And since we only have uh, the month of July to look at the entirety of the book of Ephesians, what Tyler and I have decided to do is to just provide you with a survey. We're not going to be able to look at every word of every passage and mine, all of the truth and the depths of the riches of this book. Instead, what we want to do is, is kind of give you some of the key passages and some of the key ideas uh, so that you, you have a, a framework for working your way through this book on your own. And what I, what I specifically want to look at today are some key verses and passages that come out of chapter 1. I want to look at what the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have done to bless us. After we've done that, I want to uh, point a principle out to you that, that's going on, and it's, it's kind of hard to catch in the English because it's, it's really clear in the Greek. Uh, don't worry, we're not going to talk about Greek. Uh, but I want to I help illustrate what this principle is by, by giving you a, sharing a, a TV show with you, actually. And then the last thing that I want to do is I want to look at a couple of really simple ways to apply this passage. So we're going to jump in, and I want us to focus. Uh, the first passage I want us to focus on this morning is verse 3. Um, but before we get there, let me start in verse 1. Just kind of give you a, a frame of reference. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Paul is the author of the book of Ephesians. If you've been hanging out with us for the past couple of months, you'll know that Pastor Chris has been preaching his way through the book of Acts. And the book of Acts tells us who Paul is. Paul's a guy with a checkered past. Okay, before Paul was a believer, he was a murderer of Christians. So this is a guy who, when he looks in his past, there are, there's, there's some legitimate things that he could be ashamed of. 
And if you read the book of Romans, you'll also know that this is a guy that struggles in the present. This is a guy who, who describes himself passionately as a wretched man. As he screams out, I, I, I keep doing the things that I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I want to do. And so this is a guy who struggles with the grind of life as a believer. And so he's intimately qualified to speak into our life as to what it means to live a blessed life when you look around and it doesn't seem like there's very many blessings. He's writing to the saints who are in Ephesus. Now this word saint can have a couple of different meanings. Uh, one of the meanings that immediately comes to mind is kind of like super Christian. So some people would describe Paul, they would call him Saint Paul. Uh, a modern day example would be someone like Mother Teresa, someone who has just done something super special in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, another definition that comes to mind is an opponent of the Dallas Cowboy. See, I'm from Louisiana, so I, I had to throw that one in there. Uh, I like the Cowboys, I cheer for them as long as they're not playing the Saints, but when they play the Saints, I gotta cheer for the Saints. Uh, that's not, Paul doesn't have either one of those definitions in mind. The definition that he has in mind is simply this, it's a believer. It's someone that God has set apart for himself. That's all saint means. And so if you're here this morning and you are a believer this morning, then this letter is written to you. Paul is speaking directly to you. I want us to look at verse 3 and see what the Father has done to bless us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's interesting that a book about, essentially about blessings, starts with Paul blessing God. What does it mean for a believer to bless God? It means that we worship Him. It means that we do what we were created to do, that we reflect His image. And so Paul starts off by, by, by saying, thank you, God. It, it's almost like Paul is front-loading the application. The application of the book of Ephesians is that when you understand how blessed of a person that you are, you can't help but worship. You can't help but start loving other people. And so Paul front loads that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. We're blessed. We're declared as being blessed, whether you feel like it or not, in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We're blessed because we're in Christ. Now, what does it mean to be in Christ? Uh, we're in Firewheel right now. Uh, literally, we are within the walls. And that, that's one way to understand the concept of in. But another way to understand the concept of in is uh, you're a part of what we're doing here. And so if you buy into this whole concept of, of messy and broken and real, and, and I see some of y'all wearing t-shirts that say you are loved. If you buy into that concept, if you buy into the concept that is firewheel, it really doesn't matter what your geographical position is. 
See, you can be in this building, you could be across the street, and you could be in Denver, Colorado, and you can be in Firewheel. And that's what Paul is talking about. Paul is saying that when we are in Christ, that means we are a part of what Christ is doing. The means by which God has blessed us is by placing us in Jesus Christ. That is our position spiritually. And the result of that is that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, when I come across a phrase like that, I take a deep breath. So everybody take a deep breath. And I let it out. And then I scratch my head. What, what on earth does a phrase like that mean? Every blessing in, in, the, in the heavenly realms, in the heavenly places. And sometimes I can't figure out what stuff like this means. But luckily for us, Paul explains exactly what he means by every blessing in the heavenly places. And we're not going to put them up on the board, but just quickly going, uh, going on from verse, uh, in verse 4, even as he, this is God the Father, even as God the Father chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Part of what it means to have every blessing is that God chose you. And it wasn't like he just flipped a coin and it came up heads and he said, okay, you're in. He chose you before he even created this world. Before the foundations of the world, God chose you. That we should be holy and blameless. That's what God sees when he looks at us. He sees holy and he sees blameless. Not necessarily because we are holy or we are blameless, but because he's chosen to look at us that way. In love, you know, we say you are loved. God loves you. That's a reality. Whether you feel loved or not, it's a reality. According to the purpose of his will. See, God just didn't love you because he loved you. He said, I, I, not only do I love this person, but I want them to be on board with what I'm doing. I want them to be on my team, but that's not even it. He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. See, it wasn't even enough for God to say, I want you on my team. That's not close enough. God says, I want you in my family. I want you to be a part of my family. Predestined us to adoption through Jesus according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Guys, you're blessed. Sometimes you may not feel blessed, but God's word declares that you are blessed because God chose to bless you. Let's look at what Jesus does in our blessing because this passage addresses what the Father does, what the, what, what the Son does, and what the Spirit does in our blessing. Look at verse 7. In Him, this is in Jesus, in Jesus we have redemption through His blood and the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of of his grace redemption redemption is a slavery term to redeem something or someone is to go to the slave block and say I want him to say I want her and it's never free you don't just walk up to the slave block and say I'd like, I'd like one of those and one of those it costs 
and it cost Jesus his life. It's by the blood of Jesus Christ that we have been purchased. We have, we, we, ha, we, are, we have been redeemed. We have redemption. And not only that, but we have forgiveness of our trespasses. Now, to me, it's interesting that Paul doesn't use the word for sin here. He uses a different word that's translated trespass. And what trespass means is that's when we stumble. And you really have to pay special attention that, that this verse, uh, it, it is in the present tense. In him we have redemption. In him we have forgiveness. I'm not talking about what happened when you became a believer. And I'm not talking about what's going to happen when you get to heaven. I'm talking about what's going on right here this morning in your life. Today, right now, you have redemption you have forgiveness of any stumbles that you've had you don't have to wait you don't have to wait until you get it right for a couple of weeks in a row you have it right now according to the riches of his grace his, his immeasurable incomprehensible grace Jesus has blessed you because he's gracious that's who he is that's what he does Next, I want us to look at what the Holy Spirit does in our blessing. And for that, we're going to have to jump down to verse 14. The Holy Spirit, that's, that's who. The who in, in verse 14 is the Holy Spirit. Is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. This, this idea of guarantee. Uh, this is a, a down payment. Uh, you know, for example, if... If I wanted to buy your house, um, you may look at me and think, well, Pastor Eddie, you know, I've seen you preach a couple of times. I, I kind of like you, but you know, I don't have the slightest clue how much money you have in your bank account. So uh, before we can really enter into this transaction, you've got you to get some skin in the game. You have to put down a down payment, uh, which says, which is your promise, that you're going to follow through with your side of the deal. And the reason we make humans do that is because we're prone to backing out on things. We're prone to say we're going to do one thing one day and then do something else the next day. God's not like that, but nonetheless, He gives us a down payment. He gives us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee for a future inheritance. I did some work this week trying to figure out what exactly future inheritance is. Here's, here's what I came up with. Let me share this with you. You will understand many things that right now are simply incomprehensible. Your true desires will be fulfilled. You will be perfectly completed in God. Your passions will be pure and sinless. Your fellowship and love for God will be complete. And the physical troubles that are a result of living in a fallen world will be no more. And that is a future promise. But we have the Holy Spirit as our guarantee today. I like to run. And if you run in Texas this time of the year, one thing is for sure, it doesn't matter when you run, you are going to be hot. It is hot. 
And so sometimes I like to go run on the trails, and what I'll do is I'll get a Gatorade or two, and I'll put them in a small ice chest, and I'll put them in the back of my truck. And, and then I'll go, do, I'll go do my little running, and it always starts, it's always the same way. The first couple of steps are always easy, and, you know, I'm refreshed, and it's fun. And then I get about halfway through. I'm covered in sweat, wondering, what am I doing to myself? Why did I choose to go running at 2 o'clock in the afternoon in, July, in, in, in June in Texas? I'm crazy. Then I think about that Gatorade. I think about how cold it's going to be, how, how crisp and how refreshing it's going to be. And, and I think about what it's going to feel like to have that cold liquid pouring into my throat and those electrolytes replenishing my system. And in the midst of my current struggles, this future promise keeps me going. Some of you are living a life right now that does not feel all that blessed. And I want you to know that despite that, there is a future promise. Everything is going to be made right someday. And even if it doesn't feel like you are blessed, you are blessed right now. In the nasty here and now. Let's review what we've looked at so far. And I want to try to answer this question, why? Why am I blessed? Why are you blessed? And, and in light of what we've looked at, in light of the work that the Father has done, the work that the Son has done, and the work that the Holy Spirit has done, the only answer that we can come up with that makes sense is because He chose to. You're blessed because God chose to, bl to bless you. That's it. It's not because he looked out and he said, hey, you know what, I need a guy or a gal about that tall, about that wide. I need them to be a part of my team. That's not why God blessed you. He blessed you because he chose to bless you. Which brings up a really good point. And it's, it's the same point, it's just stated opposite. And that is that you didn't bless you. And that's a good thing, right? I mean, one of, one of the songs that we sang about this morning was how consistent God is, how predictable God is, how, how when he makes a promise, we can be sure about it. And it's a good thing that you're not the one and that I'm not the one that's responsible for blessing you because you're inconsistent and I'm inconsistent. And if we were in charge of blessing ourselves, there would be, you know, we would have the highs and lows of life. We're not blessed because we chose to bless ourselves. We're blessed because God chose to bless us. And even though we didn't have anything to do with it, it should still change you. You didn't bless you, but it should change you. Look with me at verse 15. Now in verse 15, Paul goes, he, he, he's moving into a prayer. This is Paul beginning to pray for the Ephesians. And he starts off that prayer and says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards the saints. Now, I didn't tell you this up front, but Paul's in prison in Rome. The Ephesians are naturally in Ephesus. They're hundreds of miles separated. How is it that Paul, who is in Rome, hundreds of miles from, from the city of Ephesus, has heard about their faith in Jesus and their love towards each other? 
It's because they've been acting in faith and because they've been loving each other. You see, that's the product of being blessed. When you understand, when you comprehend how blessed you are, you can't help but act in faith toward God. You can't help but worship God. You can't help but, but live by faith. And furthermore, you can't help but start being a blessing to others. That's really Ephesians in a summary. You're blessed so that you can be a blessing. You're blessed so that you can go bless other people. I want us now to shift gears a little bit and, and look at something that's going on behind the scenes. And you, you probably wouldn't pick this up unless you understand Greek. And, and I've had the, I, I don't know, the privilege uh, or the cursing, I don't, whatever you want to call it, of, of taking some Greek classes, okay? Uh, the, the words are hard to pronounce, and so I'm not going to pronounce any of them. We're not gonna get, I'm not going to bore you with what's going on in the Greek here by talking about the Greek words. But I do want to point out to you that there are a lot of comprehension terms going on in Ephesians. Comprehension terms. Look, for example, at verse 8. Wisdom. In verse 8, again, insight. In verse 9, making known the mystery. In verse 17, revelation. Again, in verse 17, knowledge. Moving on to verse 18, the eyes of your heart enlightened. And lastly, in verse 18, that you, know, that you would know what the hope is. And that word know in verse 18, that's not the same Greek word as the word know in verse 17. Throughout the book of Ephesians, 27 times these comprehension words show up. That's almost five times per chapter. And the reason is because that Paul is doing something very specific with it. And here's where I'm going to tell you what's going on in the Greek without using Greek. Uh, I don't know if this is going to work. Um, how many of you have heard the show called Beverly Hillbillies? Show of hands. All right, so good. We got, we got at least half the hands. This is going to work. That's a stress off of my back. Okay. So if you're not familiar with the Beverly Hillbillies, let me kind of give you the Reader's Digest version of who these guys are. Okay, uh, the, this is the Clampets right here, and, and the guy that's on the left there is, uh, he, he's Jed Clampett, okay? And uh, he's a somewhat ignorant hillbilly from the, the Ozark Mountains, all right? And one day he's uh, out looking for food, and almost by sheer accident, he finds oil on his property, okay? He finds oil on his property. Instant millionaire, instant wealth, goes from having goose egg in his bank account to having wealth in his bank account. And, and he does what he understands wealthy people are supposed to do. And the, his, his understanding is that, hey, wealthy people live in wealthy people addresses, and the only wealthy people address that Jed Clampett knew about was Beverly Hills, California. And so he moves to Beverly Hills, California. And what makes the show funny is that's the only thing he understands about wealth. He moves to a mansion in Beverly Hills, California. But he drives the same old, beat-up, vehicle. 
he wears the same torn up, shredded clothes. And he eats basically the same diet. Go, go to the next slide. This is, this is Granny, and uh, she's cooking her, her famous uh, grits and possum gravy. This guy's a millionaire. He, he can eat at any restaurant in Beverly Hills. He could buy any restaurant in Beverly Hills, and he's eating grits and possum gravy. Now, look, my, my point here isn't that uh, he should have acquired material possessions just because he has money. Maybe he likes his classic car. Maybe he likes his old clothes. I've got some clothes with holes in them that Amy's been begging me to throw away for years, and I haven't because I like them. They're comfortable. Uh, and I've been, I'm from Louisiana, so this is a confession. I've had possum once or twice, all right? Okay? It ain't, it ain't, it ain't that bad, but it, it ain't exactly good either, Okay? The thing that makes this show humorous illustrates the point that's going on behind the text, and that is that there is a difference between knowing something and understanding something. The Clampets knew that they had wealth. They knew they were rich. The only thing they understood about wealth was is that it changes my address. That was the limit of their understanding. This, is, this principle is true throughout the Bible, but it's also true in life. Uh, Albert Einstein made this statement. Let's take a look at the next slide. Any fool can know something. Any fool can know. The point is to understand. You see, I could get a bunch of books, and I could interview a bunch of ladies, and I could become an expert on pregnancy. I could know everything that there is to know about every stage of the trimester. And I could be able to, to sketch all of this out. I might even be able to draw the chemical compounds that, that compose the hormones that are going on. I can know a lot about pregnancy, but I can't understand pregnancy because I can't experience it. The difference between knowledge and understanding is the difference between knowing facts and being able to do something with that knowledge, being able to apply that knowledge, being able to experience that knowledge. And that's what Einstein's saying. Any fool can know something. In fact, can I point out something to you this morning that uh, as I thought about it this week is kind of a little bit scary? Our enemy, Satan, he probably knows more about this book than you do. He probably knows more about God than you do. Satan probably knows more about you than you do. But he doesn't understand it. He doesn't understand God like we do as believers. And that's what Paul is doing with these comprehension terms is he wants us to move from mere 
a collection of facts. He, he doesn't want you to memorize the first chapter of Ephesians so that you can say, oh, you know, I've been redeemed, I'm covered in the blood, and, you know, I can, you know, answer a true-false question and get 100% on it and, and know about my blessings. He wants you to understand what it means to be blessed. Look with me at verse 17. Again, this is uh, the continuation of the prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom. That's a comprehension term. But that's a deep comprehension term. That's not the ability to answer a true-false question about what God says. That's, abil that's an ability to apply the, the truths about God, wisdom, and the revelation of your knowledge in Him. Revelation and knowledge, both deep comprehension words. In fact, this word know uh, that, that occurs in this verse, it's, it's, it's actually the, the under-knowledge. It's the knowledge that exists below the knowledge. God wants you to experience His blessings. He wants you to understand what it means to be blessed, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Now, we all know that our hearts don't have eyes. He's speaking in hyperbole because he really wants to get the truths of this passage from here to here. He wants to get the truths of this passage from the fact realm into the understanding realm. Because he doesn't want us to live like spiritual Beverly Hillbillies. He wants us to act out to the full potential of our blessings. He doesn't want us running around like spiritual paupers, like spiritual poor people, uh, even though we've got every spiritual blessing already in our bank account. That was the mistake of the hillbillies. They didn't understand the implications of their wealth. And Paul doesn't want us to make that mistake in the spiritual realm. He wants us to understand the implications of what it means to be blessed by God the Father, by God the Son, and by God the Holy Spirit. Let me move towards closing by giving you a couple of ways to apply this passage. First off, let me, let me give you some ways to not apply this passage. Okay? You don't apply this passage by trying harder. There are some places in the Bible, don't get me wrong, there are some places in the Bible where God essentially promises to reward hard work. And, and in those places, it is appropriate to say, you know, work hard, you know, like the farmer, work hard tilling your field so that you can anticipate a harvest. That's not what Paul is talking about right here. There is nothing for you to do. There is nothing for me to do. There is nothing for us to do in this passage. Incidentally, this is a passage that's written to the church. It's not written to individuals. It's written to the group of believers. And there is nothing for us as a group or individually to do to get these blessings. Remember, we looked at why we're blessed the only reason we're blessed is because God chose to bless us. Let me tell you another way to not apply this passage, and that's to 
ask for blessing. You, you can't ask for a blessing. Verse 3 says you already have every spiritual blessing. You got everything. You got it all. You could ask God to, to give you an extra spiritual blessing, and he's just going to look at you and say, I've already given you everything, everything that matters. I've already given you redemption. I've already given you forgiveness. I've already given you freedom. He's not talking about earthly possessions here. We're not talking about jet skis, and we're not talking about houses or bigger incomes. We're talking about the stuff that really matters. You already have everything. You're already as wealthy as the Beverly Hillbillies. Don't make the mistake that they made of not appropriating their wealth, of not using their wealth. Let's look at two ways to apply this passage. The first way to apply this passage is to read it. Take some time this week to read this passage and, and highlight or circle or underline or however it is that you mark up your Bible to l m indicate all of the blessings that you already have. You see, knowledge and understanding are two different things, but understanding does build off of knowledge. You can't understand something that you don't even know about. And it's important as a believer that you know about the blessings that you have so that you can begin to experience them, so that you can begin to understand them. How do you move from knowledge to understanding? Paul gives us the model. And that's why we looked at his prayer. He's not praying for the believers in Ephesus, and by extension, he's not praying for you and I this morning uh, that we would be more spiritually blessed. We already got all of the blessings. What he's praying is that you would comprehend how blessed you already are. One of the best applications of this passage is to get on your knees and ask God to help you understand who you are, what your identity in Christ already is, how blessed you already are. I want to suggest for you that you could use verses 15 through 23, which is Paul's prayer. Pray that prayer. Pray that prayer over yourself to, uh, sometime this week. Where Paul says, you put your name there. Ask God to give you a deeper understanding of what, it, of what it means to be blessed. And don't just pray over yourself. Pray for the people in your life, your loved ones, your family. Pray for your kids. Pray for your family members. Pray that they would understand how blessed they already are. That we really do have a God who loves them who's done everything that already needs to be done, who has chosen them from before the foundation of the, uh, of, the, of the world to love them. That's how you apply this passage. Let me close this in prayer. Father, I thank you for Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I pray for myself and I pray for Tyler as we have the privilege and honor of, of, of preaching, teaching through this passage. God, help us to understand how blessed we are. And Lord, I lift all of us up and ask the same thing. Help us all as believers to realize, to not just know, 
but to understand and experience what it is to be your child. Help us to understand the depths of how much you love us, the depths of, 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 of your grace, of the redemption that we have, of the freedom from sin that we have. Lord, we need you to show us this. We need you to reveal this to us. We need you to help us understand this because when we look around in our life, sometimes we can't help but conclude we're not blessed. And so, God, I'm asking you to do what your word promises that you will do. And so I confidently pray, I confidently ask that you help us over this next month to understand who we are, what our identity as Christians is, that we might live out that identity, that we might live with, by faith in you, and that we might love each other better. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen.